listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading The Whole Brain Child by Daniel J. Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back, everybody, to the SLP Book Club. So today we're talking about Chapter 2 of The Whole Brain Child. And this chapter is really going to talk about integrating the left and the right sides of your brain. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I mean, wow. There are some stories in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> it opens up with a story about poor four-year-old Katie. Oh my goodness. She loves preschool, but one day she got sick in class and, you know, her dad came and picked her up. But ever since that moment, she had a really hard time going back to school it was a struggle to get her, you know, to the, her classroom door every day. And she was really veering to the chaos bank of the river, right? Screaming, I'll die if you leave me. I felt for both Katie and the dad in this story. It was getting worse and worse. But then, you know, he came up with a strategy to get her to willingly attend school. This was his survive goal. So he helped her by telling the story. And we'll get to a little bit, but I mean, first, I just wanted to say, like, haven't we all seen these kids at the drop date? I'm specifically thinking of a student who would cling to his mom so hard that her shirt was kind of getting pulled off her body. It would take like <sighs> two staff members to separate him from her. And I just always felt so bad because it just seemed really traumatic for everyone involved. So I really love the idea of like short-term kind of fix-it solution and then a longer-term goal of, you know, that survive and thrive aspect. Yeah. And, you know, I realized while I was reading this that when, you know, we talked about how the last chapter made us think of a lot of the kids we work with who are on the autism spectrum and I was thinking with social stories, we already do a lot of the things that they say in here. I have had kids in the past where I had to create a social story that would help them kind of transition into the classroom in the morning and away from their parents. So I think this is a strategy SLPs have been using, right? Kind of telling the story we bring in with the social stories we bring in the factual details how the steps and then also the emotions that are involved you know like sometimes it's hard to leave your parents definitely this is a big a big problem and i feel like there's a variety of reasons sometimes it's just that the kids want to stay home and one time the parents gave in and they keep throwing the fit but sometimes it could be like katie where she has a real fear of getting sick again yeah and it might not even be obvious right that's the point too is like it's not intuitive to necessarily connect this getting sick incident maybe from weeks ago with this freak out behavior which is where like talking to your child comes into play but you know overall really this chapter is about the left brain and the right brain so they do a nice job of breaking down like what does the left side of the brain do and what does the right side do so the it really loves and desires order right logical literal linguistic linear it really likes sequence and order and lists. So those are lots of words to help you remember. <laughs> um, and then the right brain is holistic and nonverbal, and it has a lot to do with nonverbal communication, facial expressions, eye contact. This is sort of like our uh, verbal stuff, right? Pragmatic stuff, 
contact, tone of voice, posture, um, gestures. It definitely specializes in images, emotions, personal memories. So this is obviously the more emotional side. Gut feelings come from the right brain. Probably when you're triggered in a situation, this is the part of the brain that's really lit up. It's experiential and it's autobiographical. So this comment, I'll die if you leave me. Mm -hmm. um, it's really a non-logical emotion-based statement that definitely came from the right side of the brain. Like we know she's not going to die, but obviously she's having a really hard time. So the right side of the brain is dominant for the first three years of a child's life until they begin to start asking why constantly. And I don't know, I guess this would be for people who were in the early intervention area, but um, normally this is by the time we see kinder students, but this is definitely a phase that kids go through and you know when it happens because you hear why, 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 and that really shows they're starting to think more linearly with cause and effect relationships. Yep. So we want the two halves of the brain to be connected, horizontally integrated, they call it, so the brain can be in harmony. So we have that corpus callosum right in the middle of the brain connecting two halves and we want everything to be talking to each other and um, balance is really key here. Yeah. Again, Katie, right, not wanting to go to preschool was really her right brain was very emotional and very chaotic. But when we think about emotional deserts, which is the opposite, that would be kids who are not showing a lot of emotion about a situation. That's mostly like a left brain thinking. And we see that way more in older children. So they give an example of Amanda who had a fight with her best friend. I think the mom was kind of trying to ask her like, what was it about? And she would just shrug and stare out the window and say, I don't really care if we never talk again. She annoys me. Uh, and trust me, this is really frustrating. <laughs> When you're like, what is going on? And they give you nothing. The emotional desert. Ugh, it's so hard. These are the kids that I am. I do not work with kids that are that age. And I am terrified of them. So I mean, <laughs> I love that the book gives strategies from young kids all the way up through teenagers. But a 12-year-old, I run the other way because I don't know what's going on, going on with them. Yeah, it's hard i mean again this has a lot to do with rapport building right when we think about i think since this book is written really primarily for parents they assume that you already have some rapport in place clearly you're the parent but i think for me when i think about the slp's role i think it's so important at the beginning of the year when you have somebody new on your caseload that you build the rapport in the beginning and you don't get right into therapy but you focus on fun and getting to know them so that when something like this happens they feel comfortable talking to you about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked in high school for a long time. And so oh, I know <laughs> I would get kids talking to me about this stuff. And I would have boys coming to me to talk about girl problems or like really wanting to talk to not knowing how and there's just so much happening and brains and their bodies and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels like a lot for the SLP. But I like the book because here we have some really great strategies to deal with it. So with Amanda fighting with her friend and like not saying anything about it, you know, it's easier to retreat to the left side of the brain. It's just more logical and reliable. So the person in the example, it didn't really say who, maybe a therapist, just took the tactic of mirroring her nonverbal communication signals. So they really 
copied her posture, her body language, her facial expression, so that she felt emotionally seen and safe, and then stopped her story at various points to kind of pull out the emotion from her. And it sounds like it really worked. And being able to reintroduce her to her real emotions helped her to deal with them in a productive way. Again, this is a situation where you could be really dismissive or sort of like, oh, you don't want to talk to me about it. That's fine. People have fights, right? There's like these lines that we just say, like, you guys will talk again. Just give it time or whatever. But I like that they gave this example of how just putting in a little bit of effort and really listening can go a long way. Yeah. Help them to open up. And then we have this wonderful example of JP on the cupcake. Love that they included the picture. <laughs> um, hilarious. So somebody told the baker she wanted a cupcake cake, which I've never heard of that. I was like, wow. I think I've heard, I think I have seen that. So a cup made of multiple cupcakes, but you ice it, or I'm sorry, a cake made of multiple cupcakes yeah it's all iced together and then iced, you like pull. right to look like yeah. one and she said she wanted it to say jp on the cupcakes and whoever made the cake interpreted it to say jp on the cupcakes over the entire cake one phrase <laughs> instead of jp on each cupcake so this is just an example right of a left brain literal interpretation not an integrated approach so when we think about obviously i saw this and i was like oh my gosh these are our kids who struggle with inferences, idioms, metaphorical thinking, empathy, emotions, all of that right brain stuff that can help with making friends and preventing communication breakdowns, et cetera. That really made me laugh out loud. <laughs> um, so then they get into two examples, two strategies to help your child integrate both sides of their brain. So strategy number one is connect and redirect surfing emotional waves here we have our water metaphor again exactly <laughs> um, yeah, i mean now i'm on the lookout for it <laughs> you're gonna find it many times so much water um yeah we'll have a coffee drinking game every time you hear the water reference take a sip of your coffee <laughs> done what's well, okay so when the child is having a moment of being too right-brained logic is not the best way to bring sanity to the conversation so you have to remember to treat the child's feelings as valid and important and they're very real to the child even if it makes no sense to you so an example from my own life of this is my daughter loves dried seaweed that you can get like from trader joe's oh yeah um, yeah she goes through a lot of packs of them because she really likes it but it's messy and he asked me if she could have some in bed like on her nightstand as a little bit snack. And I was like, no way it's going to get in your bed. It's so messy. And the breakdown was large. It made almost no sense to me. <laughs> but, you know, I thought about the book and I just said, oh my gosh, you know, that probably made you feel really mad, right? So I validated her. I mirrored her sadness. <laughs> oh, you are like really using this in real time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. And this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. They, they talk later about how to sort of de-escalate the emotional intensity. And that is the key that I need to focus on because just saying like, I know that makes you really mad or whatever. It's like helpful, but I don't feel like it helps her to calm down fast. So we can talk about strategies for that. I think that'd be helpful. Um, so once you do that, where you kind of like tell them their feelings are valid, then you connect with the right brain. We're really acknowledging their feelings, using the empathetic facial expressions and 
this will cause the right brain to right brain attunement between the two of you. Yeah. And that should bring the child into more balance. So that's step one. That is the connection. But then we get into the redirection, which is where the left brain comes into place. So you redirect logically by explaining your position. So if the child thinks you're being unfair to them, I mean, I can think of this in a speech situation where they don't want to do the task or they had a game in mind that they wanted to play and you want to do something different, right? Mm -hmm. We just have to logically explain our position, tell them (laughs) they think you're being unfair, which also happens. You could just explain how you worked hard to be fair. Maybe you could brainstorm and strategize some ways to make things feel more equal next time. And so in this way, it allows them to feel heard and seen by you. And then it shows that you're going to change your behavior to kind of show that you're hearing them. And then this shows that once the right brain has been connected, the logical left brain can come in and it can help them to integrate. So I love, they have like some really catchy phrases. So this one, right, is connect and redirect, not command and demand. (laughs) (laughs) Which again, can be the default because it just feels like it's going to accomplish things easier, but it never does. Yeah. They also have some other helpful tips within the strategy. So you might need to consider the child's needs. Like, do they need to eat something? Should you just let the emotions work themselves out? Or maybe now is not the time to come up with solutions, right? To bring the left brain in. Maybe wait until they're calmer. We all know that when you try to talk to a child when they're really upset, it's like they don't even hear you times. I like just keeping that in mind and being flexible in the situation. Yeah. But again, always important to retain boundaries around safety and the child might need to be removed from the situation if they're getting too physical or maybe breaking boundaries or speech room rules, right? So once a child has calmed down, then you can try to do the connect and redirect. But the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is connect first. And then that should help everything to flow better. If you have to you know, put some discipline in place or talk to them about logical things, connect first. Yeah. And I feel like I've had, I'm not great at this part, connecting first. I'm usually like, come on, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> I'm right. a command, I guess I'm it. a command and demand person. But <laughs> the school that I worked at for the longest period of time had five at one time six autism special day classes ranging from tk up to fifth grade and some of the teachers i was amazed by their ability to do this to in the middle of of a real breakdown to get down and use that soothing voice validate the kids feelings i don't know why i wasn't picking up that i really needed to do that too but teachers you just know those teachers that have that special that magical thing they just automatically know to do this or maybe they read the book or <laughs> well it's like that mirroring component you know maybe yeah. they did read the book maybe we should ask next time <laughs> hey, the whole for a child by chance. <laughs> yeah you're right i have seen that work pretty effectively and yeah it just seems to be instinctual for some people so um okay strategy number two name it to tame it telling stories to calm big emotions So when a child has a big event, maybe they fall and hurt themselves, a pet dies, there's something like a school lockdown, right, which can be really scary. A good way to promote the integration of these events is to retell the story of the experience. So you name it to tame it instead of 
dismiss and deny. <laughs> so they gave this example, which I could really relate to poor Bella in this example, where she flushed the toilet and it overflowed. And then she was just paralyzed with fear about flushing the toilet from that point out. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I can just see how that could happen so easily. It's hard to even make sense because again, for me, I'm thinking, okay, this is again about remembering that this child is four or five or six, right? They don't really understand plumbing. No. <laughs> so that happens once and it's like, oh, maybe that could happen every time, you know, that's scary. Yeah. But thankfully, her dad had read The Whole Brain Child. And so he sat her down, retold the story with her, filling in as many details as she could. And then he would kind of come in and you know, fill in the gaps, but he let her kind of lead the storytelling, which I thought was nice. And a couple of times until eventually her fear just went away. So this is really effective because again, this is allowing her to experience explaining the details in order, the left brain, and then identifying the emotion she was happened, right brain, um, helping her to name the fears and emotions helped her to tame them. So a point that they made about this, which I liked, was allowing the child to control if and when they want to retell the story. So you can gently get it going, you know, and then stop or try again later if they don't want to talk about it. You really have to time this well when you're in a good mood or when the child is doing something and they're a little bit distracted, like maybe riding in the car or you guys are playing a game and it feels like a calm nice moment to kind of bring it up most importantly when kids are experiencing strong emotions they really need an adult to help them bring in the left side of the brain to put things in order and then help them name their emotions in order to process it effectively and even though you might think it's best to kind of avoid talking about something scary the child's brains really need to tell the story so they can make sense of what happened and move on, which is the key, like move on and not be stuck in that cycle. Mm -hmm. So Katie, right, to circle back to our example from the beginning, that girl who got sick and didn't want to go to school because her right brain was really in overdrive, producing really big emotions and linking all the events together, like that she went to school, she felt sick, her dad left her, and then she was scared. So in her mind, that's what happened. But her dad helped her to retell the story and put the events in order and helped her name her emotions. He emphasized how he came right away when he was called and how she felt better pretty quickly afterwards and how everything was okay. And then he kind of added in, you know, how fun school is and they talked about it, all the things she loves about school. And they made a book, which I thought was a cute idea. And again, really kind of underscores what you were saying about the social stories, right? Yeah. So they probably made a social story. <laughs> yeah, without calling <laughs> and it that. And she read it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow, SLPs, like we're already on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually she regained her love of school, which is a really nice ending. So then there's a really nice comic end that can kind of help your child understand the left and the right brain. So the comic is geared for children ages five to nine, but you can use your discretion and adapt it however you need. You can use uh, more sophisticated language or you can use more simple language, but it's really nice. It just talks about really simplified explanations of the sides of the brain, how when the whole brain works together can ride the wave the anger wave. you know what i really love this one i love the anger wave it's so visual when you see these angry little kids with this wave over them it's just overtaking them i think it's it is kind of perfect for me like 
it happens to us as adults an anger wave rolls over us in traffic so i love it yeah i mean and this is something you could even show your child like you're saying it's really visual and that can be a helpful way to understand the concept mm -hmm. so then again we have integrating ourselves so here's where you take a look at yourself and think about your own integration how do you when a child becomes upset and cries i like the example of a woman who came from a military family and just not really touchy-feely and she would just walk away from her son when he cried which you know I get that sometimes we all shut down right and that's what was happening is you try to correct the problem and maybe it doesn't work and you just feel out of solutions so yeah then she talked to him about integration and they talked about behavior and just kind of how to solve the problem. And then she tries to do the connect first and then solve seconds. So she said it's made a big difference. And I think we can all examine our own lives and see where we might be able to improve our own reactions, especially relationships with children, connecting first with the right brain and then redirecting. Yeah, I love this chapter. I love thinking about the right and left brain. It just helps you understand I mean, in the next chapter, we're going to discuss the upper and lower brain, but, and that also same thing. It's just so much about the way kids behave in certain situations makes so much more sense when you're thinking of it in terms of left brain, right brain, upstairs brain, downstairs. It just, it's, it's all coming together for me. Yeah, I love that. For our Patreon members, we do have some resources available for chapter two. We have a summary of the chapter, just a quick reference for you in the future so that you can use these strategies. And I've also created a visual for teaching kids about the right and left brain in case you don't want to use the little comic at the back of this chapter. Definitely check that out. Laura is so good at creating these materials and I think it's a simplified visual. It's always really helpful. Yeah. Okay, well, that is it for chapter two of The Whole Brain Child. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for chapter three. Lots of good stuff coming your way. So bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast. It's a community. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to become a member, join the discussion, and get access to tons of bonus content that will help you implement the strategies you learn as you read. We are making all episodes for the first two months of the SLP Book Club available to everyone wherever you get your podcasts. After the first two months, most episodes will only be available to Patreon members. Our Patreon subscribers also have access to our private Facebook group where we discuss each month's book, handouts summarizing each chapter of the books we read, and really amazing printables that go along with each book and can be used directly with the children you work with in speech therapy. You can become a Patreon subscriber for only $8 per month, which will give you access to our community and all the resources we create to accompany these books. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore book club.